there's much speculation about the nature of the mysterious mark mentioned in the book of Revelation. A mark or identity stamp that will be required for every human dwelling on the earth to take under the penalty of death in order to buy or sell. However, did you know that God also marks those who uncompromisingly belong to him? If you are born again, if you're a marked man and a marked woman, you're sealed unto eternal salvation. That's very good news in a growing, darkened world. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Here at the Jerusalem Channel, we work hard to keep you informed and up to date on prophetic end time events in the Holy Land. But we also see so many great humanitarian needs. And that's why your support is helping to keep this ministry lifting up the name of the Lord in the Middle East. One of our most recent projects was to donate and dedicate a fully equipped ambulance to Israel's National Volunteer Rescue Service. The ambulance is available to assist everyone, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and yes, even tourists who might need medical assistance. So thanks for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel by your gifts through our website or through our ministry addresses in the USA and the United Kingdom. Please help us to be a blessing to all the people of the Holy Land. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. Is your heart like mine heavy at the level of deception that's captivating people all over the earth? This inordinate fear, the mental and physical illnesses caused by being cooped up or locked down as the politicians like to call it, the anxieties of children who must social distance, concerns about the economy and the future in general, well, in the book of Revelation, we're told that all nations will be deceived by sorceries. And here's the exact quote from Revelation 9, 20 to 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor of worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver, bronze and stone and wood, which can't hear or walk, or talk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thieveries. I want to focus on that word sorceries, which of course makes us instantly think of witchcraft, but the Greek word in the New Testament for sorcery is pharmakia, the word from which we get the words for pharmacy and pharmaceutical drugs. Strong's Concordance defines pharmakia as the use of medicine, drugs, spells, or magic. The world and our leaders, even good leaders who want the best for their nations, are hoping for an injection, a jab, a vaccine, 
some sort of chemical solution created by the pharmaceutical industry. But the Word of God tells us that pharmaceutical drugs and vaccines are not to be trusted implicitly. While we praise God for medical advances and for vaccines in the past that have helped us to overcome diseases, we must be cautious of each new medical and technological solution. There are many ethical considerations because ultimately the Word of God says, in essence, by your pharmakia, Revelation 18, 23, the nations of the earth were deceived. During World War II, Jews needed certain documents in order to escape to freedom. But time is coming in the future in this world that's becoming a global village when there'll be no place to run to, to hide for freedom and liberty. Documents will be replaced by some sort of required biometrical marking system or medical passport. And eventually nobody will be able to travel, to buy or sell without that mysterious mark that's foretold in the book of Revelation. But for believers in this word, there's tremendously good news. The converging signs of our times, including the rebirth of the nation of Israel, all point to the soon coming of the bridegroom, Jesus, to take his bride home. Jesus warned in Luke 21, 36, Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand in the presence of the Son of Man. Also, in his end-time briefing, known by theologians as the Olivet Discourse, in Luke chapter 21, Jesus solemnly warned his disciples, Be watchful, he said, so that your hearts are not depressed with debauchery and the nausea of self-indulgence and the worries and anxieties of life, so that the day when the Messiah returns won't spring upon you suddenly like a surprise and a snare. For Jesus warned the day of his return will come like a trap upon all who live on the face of the earth. So let's keep alert at all times and pray that we might have the strength and the ability to be found worthy to escape the coming horrors about to happen. And so we will be able to stand in the presence of the Son of Man, Messiah Jesus. And of course, Yeshua is his Hebrew name when he comes. What practical effect ought the doctrine of the Lord's second coming have on us? Well, it should cause us to sit up and fly right, to amend our ways and behavior as an expectant bride prepares for her wedding day. And on the manner and timing of the Lord's return, every believer is not in agreement. The time is purposefully concealed to keep us alert and watchful, and also to take satanic forces off guard. But the Bible teaches the absolute certainty that the day of the Lord's appearing will come. And in the meantime, we must avoid impatience and the opposite extreme, forgetfulness. Well, in the book of Revelation, over in chapter 13, in verse 16, it says that in the future, everyone, small and great, rich and poor, will be given an obligatory mark on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one could buy or sell without this mysterious mark. 
Also in Revelation 16:2, we read of God's judgment during this time that foul and loathsome sores will plague people who had taken the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. Now the word beast in the book of Revelation in general represents the powers of evil which lie behind the kingdoms of this world. Actually in Revelation two beasts are aligned with the dragon Satan in opposition to God. The second beast directs all peoples of the earth to worship the first beast, also known as the Antichrist. The second beast is the false prophet described in Revelation 13 as one who performs great lying wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives them by the means of satanic miracles. And he makes some kind of image, artificial intelligence, that causes the image to speak and to be worshipped. And whoever does not worship the image of the beast is executed. Generally speaking, the mark or number of the beast, 666, that will be stamped or imprinted on foreheads and hands, suggests that the number six refers to imperfection, something of man falling short of the divine number, which of course is seven. So here in God's word, we have terrible warnings of a sinister mark of foreheads or hands that must be avoided at all costs. But in the Hebrew scriptures, there's a fascinating passage, and I want to turn to that now, about an opposite mark that's put upon the foreheads of God-fearing people. So scripture speaks of two marks, one good and one evil. In Ezekiel 9, the Lord called out in a loud voice, bring nearer those who were appointed to execute judgment on the city, each with a weapon in his hand. And the prophet Ezekiel saw six men carrying deadly weapons in their hands. And with them was a man clothed in linen who had an ink horn at his side. Now, linen in scripture is an idiom for righteous garb. So how many men were summoned by God altogether in this chapter, Ezekiel 9? Seven. And remember, that's God's number. The man dressed in linen with the ink horn and the six executioners are spoken of as men because they appeared in human form. But that's the same way the angels appeared to Abraham, for example, in Genesis chapter 18, as humans. So these men in Ezekiel 9 were no doubt angels summoned by God. They came instantly and stood awaiting their orders beside the bronze altar of the temple. The Lord said to the man clothed in linen who had the ink horn, go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who sigh and groan over all the abominations committed in the city. People, let's take a Selah moment and ask, do we sigh and groan over all the abominations that are going on right now in the earth? There are so many abominations were I to list them all, my time would be finished. But you know and intercessors know what these abominations are. Also, and this is so fascinating, many scholars point out that the word mark here in the Hebrew 
suggests the shape of a cross, a symbol which represents salvation and redemption. The cross is the sign of the Messiah and the one who was wounded in the house of his friends. And here's what I discovered. The word mark in Hebrew here is tov, interpreted as a sign of exemption from judgment. The word tov for mark also just happens to be used for pronouncing the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And in the Paleo-Hebrew alphabet, in Phoenician alphabet, tov was written somewhat like the English X. Now, a Benedictine writer noted that some ancient Sumerian coins bear the letter Tav in the form of a cross, as did the coins of the Maccabees. And an 18th century German Orientalist, a theologian famous for his Hebrew lexicon, wrote that the Arabic equivalent of this word Tav refers to a sign in the form of a cross that was branded on their horses and camels. Well, now to continue, as Ezekiel listened, the Lord instructed the executioners to go and kill everybody who didn't have the godly cross-like mark on their foreheads made by the angel with the ink horn. And the executioners were forbidden to go near anyone who had the godly mark. The Lord said, now begin at my sanctuary. That's the house of God, people. And I want to ask, is God judging his houses of worship and leadership today? Well, many believe so. Many believe he's shaking the churches. So the executioners here in Ezekiel 9 began with the elders who were in front of the temple. And after all the executions, Ezekiel was left alone. So it was a very severe judgment. And the man clothed in linen with inkhorn reported back to the Lord, I've done as you have commanded. Now, what does Ezekiel 9 teach believers? And what does it warn to the atheists and to all those who forget or disregard the Almighty? Well, the commentaries say that the agents of God's judgments, the holy angels, are ever ready to execute his commands. And the protection of the pious is the Lord's privilege and his discretion. While the work of vengeance also stands under God's jurisdiction. As soon as they were required for work, the angel agents were promptly at hand and standing at attention. And as soon as they received their marching orders, they went forth and executed the Lord's instructions in the holy city of Jerusalem. Well, many are the agents and instruments which God employs, both angels and men, and various phenomena. When he summons them, they quickly respond to his call. For example, in his judgments upon Egypt, blood, frogs, and flies, locusts, boils, fire and hail, and the death angel were all God's ready instruments. The second thing that we learn is that God discriminates between two great divisions of moral character. In this judgment, certain persons were to be spared, while the rest were to be cut off, and the basis was their moral character. And who were the ones worthy to be spared? They were the people who sighed and cried because of all the abominations of the city men and women who deeply grieved because of sin. 
They didn't condone or participate in these sins nor regard them as trivial or treat them with indifference. But they were truly burdened by these dangerous sins and mourned over them. And so have holy men, women, and children in all ages been afflicted by sin. And in like manner, our blessed Lord was deeply moved by the wickedness of his generation. And those who were to be spared would qualify as those who didn't just sigh, but those who would give expression to their grief because of the sins they saw. They are the ones who cried aloud because of all of the abominations. They vented their sorrows. Their dismay was not concealed, but manifested. Their cries and groans would indicate the oppression of their souls. The question is, do we mourn for other sins? It is a certain grace. Mothers especially know this truth. And to cry over the sins of our generation signals that you have a sound spiritual constitution. Well, the dream of many politicians is their attempt to create some sort of socialist utopia. By the way, the term utopia, I learned, was created from the Greek language by Sir Thomas More for his book, Utopia, written in 1516, describing a fictional island in the South Atlantic Ocean off the coast of South America as enjoying perfection in law and politics. And so the word utopia has come to be synonymous with an ideal place or state and any visionary system of social perfection. Dystopia, on the other hand, describes a society characterized by human misery, oppression, and disease. You see, the Bible plainly teaches that this world is headed towards a dystopia, not a utopia. But the good news is that ultimately, when Jesus returns to earth, he will reign for a thousand years, and his just and humane and righteous rule will be a zillion times better than any humanly governed utopia could ever hope to be. Meanwhile, Israel's Prime Minister Netanyahu speculated that perhaps children need to be tagged with social distancing sensors in light of the virus epidemic. But even good leaders who want to protect their nations are saying strange things out loud things that are sometimes bewildering because they're desperately grappling for solutions to try to keep their nation safe. Netanyahu's idea of distance-sensitive microchips that make a warning sound are already used in cars. So why not put digital sensors on the population to prevent citizens from coming too close to one another, especially children returning to schools? But he quickly faced backlash. In fact, one cyber expert told Israeli media that while she understood the idea in theory, it wouldn't work for humans and it wouldn't pass any legal or practical test for children. Another concern is who could use the information from the censors? The prime minister's office responded by saying such technology would be a voluntary operation designed to help children keep their distance. The government also approved Israel's security agency, the Shen Bet, to digitally track the phones of people who had contracted the virus to locate persons that they are in contact with. Israel's high court responded and said it needs to pass legislation to regulate this level of tracking. But meanwhile, Israel's parliament subcommittee on security approved a three-week extension of the phone tracking. 
Netanyahu's suggestion was a big indication to prophecy watchers that as a result of this virus dry run, medical tattoos, some sorts of marks or sensors or medical passports will eventually be required to travel, to buy, to sell in the future. People have been just too frightened to sit next to strangers on airplanes and public transport without being assured that the people they're sitting next to have been vetted for disease. And such is the outcome of inordinate, excessive fear. Current proposed solutions about medical passports or implanted chips of some sort are not yet the damnable mark mentioned in the book of Revelation. But we can plainly see that thinking is being conditioned and headed in that direction toward the eventual scenarios of the book of Revelation as the world increasingly becomes a global village. So as I've been urging, let's work diligently for the gospel's sake. This is because Jesus said in John 9, 4, night is coming when no one can work. Maranatha. Let's pray that during this time of recovery from this inordinate and excessive scare, that we'll have the time to travel and preach and bring in the harvest from the Gentile nations to finish the fullness of the Gentiles in the universal church of God. This is so heavy on my heart. Yet the number of God's elect must and will be accomplished. Many can still be reached through the communications media, but many also need a personal touch of real face-to-face -face evangelism by evangelists who go and travel. Now, the prophet Daniel foretold that in the last days, knowledge will increase, and we can agree that it has increased exponentially. But it says in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4, But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will travel everywhere, and knowledge shall increase. And truly, the mind boggles at the increase alone, just in technology. So-called smart dust devices are literally tiny dust-sized devices with extraordinary capabilities, combining sensing, computing, and wireless communication within the volume of a few millimeters. It's almost impossible to detect smart dust. Radio frequency identification chips, known as RFID, already use electromagnetic fields to identify and track tags attached to an object. These tags are used in many industries. For example, a tag attached to a car during its production can be used to track its progress through the assembly line, or tagged pharmaceuticals can be tracked through warehouses. Implanting microchips in livestock and pets enables identification of animals. Since RFID tags can be attached to cash, clothing, and possessions are implanted in animals and humans, the possibility of reading personally linked information without consent raises serious privacy concerns. According to Wikipedia, the value of the world RFID market is expected to rise from $12 billion in 2020 to $16 billion in nine years. 
These tags are called spy chips, and they must be resisted because modern database and communication technologies and sophisticated ID authentication systems now make it possible to require a biometrically associated number or mark in order to make purchases. The ability to implement such a system closely resembles the number of the beast prophesied in the book of Revelation. By the way, the American Food and Drug Administration approved the use of chips in humans back in 2004. Privacy advocates have protested against implantable chips, warning of potential abuse by authoritarian governments, the removal of freedoms, and the emergence of societies where all citizens are forced to behave in a socially acceptable manner under the watchful eye of Big Brother. Now, the book Spy Chips, How Major Corporations and Governments Plan to Track Your Every Move, imagines a world of no privacy where your every purchase is monitored and recorded in a database and your every belonging is numbered where someone has a record of everything you've ever purchased. What's more, they can be tracked and monitored remotely. Well, we need to keep our head above us and to reject all forms of deception in these perilous times. Let's determine to be marked by God and not by the Antichrist. The Lord Jesus is worthy of our allegiance. And Psalm 19 and verse 14 declares, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David the psalmist prays in the psalm for God to govern and sanctify his words and thoughts so that presumptuous sins would not have dominion over him. In the Septuagint Bible, which was translated by 70 or 72 Jewish scholars, it adds the word always to Psalm 1914. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart always be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. The Hebrew word for always is tamid. And if this word always, tamid, is restored to the text on the authority of the Septuagint, it would suggest a reference to the daily sacrifice, which was to be offered continually, according to Exodus 29:38. And, as a matter of fact, in later times, the daily sacrifice was actually called the tamid. Well, I believe it's a good practice for us to pray that our words and meditations are always acceptable in God's sight, especially as we see how dangerous the times are becoming. Today, I want to encourage you to keep your words and meditation of your heart continually on faith. It's my prayer that we will not fall into fear during a time when all around us, people are inordinately fearful due to an invisible virus. Now, the commentaries on this verse, Psalm 1914, tell us that our right words and thoughts would exclude all exaggerated words, all flattering words, and of course, evil and godly words, and certainly words of fear, doubt, and unbelief. Each week, I've been telling you this during this pandemic, that it's very dangerous to die in the excrement of our sins. Our sins must be removed, erased by the cleansing agent of the blood of Jesus. His blood transcends time and space and it's efficacious 
for all persons. Each of us desperately needs to be marked by faith, by the freely provided covering of the precious blood of Jesus, marked over the doorposts of our hearts. We desperately need the mark of his righteousness that only the Savior, the Lord Jesus, can provide for each one of us. During a pandemic, there are shortages of certain items, but there's never any shortage of God's love and mercy. And his redemption is free, paid in full at the cross. The Bible assures us that we were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but we were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, who was without blemish or defect. The same Jesus who healed all who came to him has arisen from the dead and he's alive today and offers us both pardon and healing from all of our sins and torments. So I invite you to feel free to contact me on the social media or through our website at exploits.tv where you can sign up to receive our weekly updates and our electronic newsletter. It's all free. And don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel app. So until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha.